Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the TetraCast. My name is Zach Reese. I'm your host. Joining me today is James Galizio. Hello. Hello. Yes. Uh, the two-man crew is back uh, again this week. Uh, by the way, this is the October 13th, 2018 edition, episode 131. Uh, it's been a long ride here. Pretty exciting stuff. Um, this week has been mostly a focus on industry news, which we'll get to. Uh, a lot of it actually is very much industry-related, in fact, um, even for video games. So it's going to be kind of an interesting conversation that we'll have. But before we get into that, we always like to talk about the games that we've been playing. So, um, James, of course, this is a bit of a spillover, if you will, from last week. Uh, you talked about uh, Destiny 2 Forsaken. and so I didn't actually talk about it last week. It was a few weeks ago. I thought we talked about Destiny 2. You mentioned Forsaken. You were playing it last week. Uh, no, it was like two or three weeks ago. I want to say two, um, oh. something like that. Oh, these weeks um, together. But yeah, you've been playing some of that. You're playing the raids. Uh, yes. Finally got a chance to kind of dip my toes into the raid. Finally. Um, one interesting thing about, uh, Destiny 2 Forsaken's raid, and this is something that anyone that's been playing has, can tell you is that, it has a very high recommended power requirement compared to uh, other raids in Destiny's history. So it takes a lot of grinding to be raid ready. And even once you reach the recommended power, a lot of um, groups won't take you for a full raid until you reach at least, I'd say, 570 power when the recommended is 550. To put things into perspective, once you reach power level 520, you're probably going to be getting anywhere from 10 to 15 power each week if you do all the weekly milestones yeah i do i do remember that from playing destiny that it's that's what can sometimes put people off of grinding if they haven't played in a while but uh typically benji makes it so that so far into the lifespan they tend to find ways to help people get up to speed but um it's still quite a big ask it sounds like yeah it was definitely a bit of a grind and um not quite ready to do the full raid. I should be able to next week, and I'll probably be able to tackle the uh, dungeon, which is a new activity that Forsaken added that people didn't know about until they discovered it, which is basically a three-man raid. Um, the thing with the dungeon is it's on a three-week cycle, so every three weeks it's available. So if, if ready or not, I'm going to have to attempt it next week because, well, yeah. I'm almost there. It's, and if I don't do it next week, I'm going to have to wait another three weeks. That's like a ah, bit of a pain in the ass. But it's also kind of cool how there's that time-limited content that comes and goes. And they've been doing that a lot recently, actually, if looking at some of the exotic quests. Um, yeah, yeah. The raid itself, though. The raid itself. Um, very mechanics-heavy. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd... Well, the beginning half of it isn't... Now, it's more mechanics-heavy than Leviathan, which I know a lot of people... Um, the Leviathan is the base game raid for Destiny 2 that was um, in the game when it first came out last year. Um, since then, they've added raid layers with the two uh, previous DLCs before Forsaken. That would be uh, Curse of Osiris and Warmind, which are basically like half a raid, but they kind of count for a full raid clear for like clans and whatnot, so it's kind of cool. It's also not really something that I think is a bad thing because raids, especially if it's your first time going through it, are going to take you a long time to learn. Um, but the last wish is definitely mechanically heavy. Even the first um, encounter is pretty 
intense. The second encounter, while the mechanics themselves aren't quite as hard, it's on a timer and you're kind of forced to push through it really quickly. So it requires a lot of um, communication and some really, really tight, um, I guess, execution. Yes. And then the uh, third encounter, I've only gotten through the first three encounters, which is about half of the raid. Yeah. That's um, always the, third enca- the third encounter isn't quite so bad. I just say that, it, well, compared to the first two, it's not so bad, but it still requires some communication. Um, I really enjoy it so far. It's really interesting. Each of the encounters feels very distinct, and it's obvious that they took the uh, criticism of Leviathan to heart, because one of the criticisms that people had with Leviathan it, is it didn't feel like a raid necessarily. It felt like you were doing all sorts of random like tasks for callus the raid boss like you had um the bathing ritual which was basically killing it's hard to explain this stuff if you haven't done the raid but um the last wish definitely feels like a siege on the uh, dreaming city's castle more or less so that's definitely something that's interesting. Like it, you can feel yourself progressing and it doesn't feel like you're just randomly running around doing things. It feels yeah. like, okay, you're clearly progressing through the raid and it makes sense what you're doing, which I definitely can see why a lot of people appreciate it. It's very mechanically difficult. I don't think I can stress that enough. Uh, the part where we left off last night was the vault, which... <laughs> uh, <laughs> It, it it's something and then the uh, final ribbon encounter is supposed to be really really difficult with lots of call outs that you need to memorize and that's going to be fun and difficult um overall i i think the thing that i well the impressions i kind of left off on when i last talked about destiny on the podcast is i wanted to kind of wait and see before i gave any lasting impressions on the expansion as a whole because i knew what happened with the base game destiny 2 and how almost everyone really enjoyed it for like the first two weeks. But then after that, like it felt like there was no staying power. Um, well, I've been playing destiny Two forsaken for about three weeks now, three and a half, maybe. And I definitely think it doesn't have the same problem that the base game had with um, keeping you going. I'm not sure if part of it is because it's harder to get to the raid, but I feel like even once I have finished the raid, there's going to be plenty for me to do. And I'm definitely looking at what Destiny has been doing from the end of Warmind's DLC through Forsaken and what they're hinting at for the uh, next seasons of DLC, which is with the annual pass. I'm definitely feeling a lot more confident that what they're going to be releasing, even if it's not big story expansions, they're going to be stuff that I want to do. So I'm definitely probably going to be in this for a long haul, which is pretty much any if you're into Destiny or if you want to get into Destiny, that's really all you want to hear, I guess. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, one of the problems in the past with uh, Destiny 2 was, of course, that the post-game content, there wasn't really anything there, which shouldn't be too surprising because it was a new game launch. But uh, as long as it's got a long tail, people tend to stick around. Um, and as you mentioned, and yeah, last week, I forgot, last week all we did was talk about racing games. So yeah, it was yeah. definitely two weeks ago um, at the earliest. Uh, you yeah. did mention, and, we, and this is something that's been kind of the general consensus, is that the rays are really what get people to stick around because they can be the most elaborate part of that. And as you said, there are stages to it. So um, 
I mean, there are issues of, you know, making the time to play with friends and stick with something that can take hours to do um, just to get through the uh, the raid itself, like the main raid. Uh, but it sounds like that's going to they got some big stuff planned and hopefully they can kind of turn everything around, which is important. As you said, the next wave of DLC, because Anthem is supposed to be out early next year, uh, it's going to be hard to tell whether that'll eat. Destiny's launch because it'll be the first time Bioware is attempting something like this, even if it's clearly trying to emulate the success yeah. of Destiny, uh, for better or for worse, I guess. Success is uh, relative, but uh, it's going to be very interesting because there's some big games planned for 2019, and hopefully they can keep people's interest uh, for that long. Uh, after yeah, some, after I think the, the one starts. thing I want to stress, and this is something that if you've been well, I can't say if you've been playing Destiny a while because I've only played base game Destiny 2 and then I hopped back on with the expansion. But looking at the timeline of events, like again, at the end of Warmind, they added in some exotic quests that people had to discover on their own, like Whisper of the Worms, exotic quest, only spawned for one specific public event on io so you do the public event and you'd notice an enemy off to the corner and if you killed that enemy then you'd find a portal that would basically teleport you to the uh quest that is basically a super long platforming challenge with a bunch of like waves of enemy at, enemies at the end it's on a 20 minute timer yeah and once you beat it then you get the uh, whisper of the worm which is a very very interesting exotic weapon so that was like i feel like in retrospect, like a lot of people definitely liked that looking at the comments when it happened. But in retrospect, seeing that happen and then seeing the reactions to it and seeing how they've been kind of building upon that sentiment sentiment with um, Forsaken and stuff like Festival of the Lost that they're pointing to and then all the stuff they're kind of hinting at for the next couple of bits of DLC, it definitely feels like Bungie knows what the player base wants and they kind of are pushing towards that direction, which is really nice to see. Like uh, Festival of the Lost this time around, like I believe in the past, the seasonal events have been mostly just cosmetic stuff and occasionally like a mini game or two. Like I think um, there's Sparrow Racing and whatnot. Um, this time around, there's they're actually adding in a kind of, not really a horde mode, but you can kind of like a gauntlet type mode where you go as far as you can in 15 minutes in this uh, instanced area and it's going to have unique rewards which that's great that's free content that people didn't expect and it's just building on the goodwill that has been coming back in after forsaken if they can keep that up until the release of the december dlc and it manages to hold up to what they're selling there instead of like curse of osiris then i definitely feel like they'll probably be fine yeah Absolutely. Yeah. You know, as long as they don't upset their player base again by making uh, key changes to... Because I think that Destiny, uh, not to talk about this for too long, but Destiny has some of the same issues that Neo had, where they look for things that people are quote-unquote exploiting uh, or having fun with or anything like that, and then taking that away from them, and that can be a problem. Because, you know, there's that like infamous thing about the first game with the uh, loot cave or whatever it was called and they got rid of that and so but they didn't replace it with anything better <laughs> for them to do um and hopefully as you said like uh, for the um uh, it's more than just loot you know i think people are getting really into the lore of that of the of the series and, oh definitely yeah. that's something that i didn't even touch on on my impressions but 
Um, the lore pages that they've added into the game has make has made it easier to kind of digest what they're trying to go for, and especially like looking at what's going on in the Dream City. It's more interesting than anything else that I've seen in Destiny. Like in Destiny 2's like base game, I, I just could not care about the story at all. <laughs> but good. Forsaken, <laughs> where it's been going and with the lore and whatnot, it definitely feels like it's getting to a point where I do care a bit, which is, I guess great yeah so yep. awesome okay cool uh so it's it was mostly destiny 2 for you this past week um yes i have i did play a little bit of fighting games and prep for soul caliber 6 which is coming out next week but besides that just destiny yeah let, us, let me know how Geralt fares when we talk about this next because i'd like to hear because i did not get a chance to play the demo at anime expo for soul caliber 6 or e3 i think it might have been an e3 as well but uh didn't get a chance but i'd like to know uh from people that i've seen and heard talk about it that he fits in very well to that to that series which is good which we kind of already know one of the uh, dlc characters is 2b because she'd fit in pretty well too oh yeah wasn't 2b in like another fighting game like Tekken or something oh maybe I think they probably just no. made her in Tekken you're thinking right? of Noctis in Tekken yeah, yeah. I think I think someone must I think actually someone modded it I forget I'm gonna look this up real quick like cause I think they put someone injected yeah Dead or Alive uh, someone I think yeah. may have and Street Fighters people have modded to be into those games but obviously it's not she has her own uh, you know fighting style and own moveset and stuff like that it's just straight up like uh, palette swap for the most part, yeah. costumes. So yeah, uh, that's cool. For me, um, it's been mostly mobile games. Uh, Dragalia Lost had their first big uh, uh, event called Loyalty's Requiem. They added a new character called Celeria, who's pretty cool. Uh, she's kind of like this hard-nosed, uh, is very strict, and is like the the uh, the, the teacher. Uh, she really wants people to train hard to become really good so that they can go into battle strong uh but she's also got you know a heart of gold and but that she's got her own like little backstory that's pretty fascinating that you know one of the cool things about this this game and this people who don't know dragalia lost is that nintendo a game that was developed by uh Psy games of uh, grand blue fantasy fame and uh yeah she she's just she's just a great character and she has like i said like anytime someone needs someone to be trained she's like yes let's go out let's do 100 laps around the place let's do 500 push-ups let's go she's really excited getting people into shape uh and so i i think she's a really great character in this game and everything packed in with dalco's soundtrack i just i've become a really big fan of dragalia lost and i think more people should play it because it's super addictive super infectious with the way it's presented and i'm excited to see more stories uh oh man you're saying super addictive and super um yeah that just makes me want to stay away it's a gotcha game i don't want to get into that that's a rabbit hole i just won't go down (laughs) i mean the presentation it's super polished um like i, I said the, the writing yeah, is I, fantastic uh even if you know gotcha games have got this negative stigma i think that side games does a pretty good job with uh helping people avoid that and yeah just yeah. giving you plenty of ways to enjoy the game but you say I that but doesn't dragoia lost have like a triple gotcha system a triple gotcha what do you mean oh i mean you can like, if you're talking about like when you when you do a role it's not just for characters it's also for yeah. stuff like um dragons yeah i, I 
I'm going to stay w- far away from that then. Yeah. I mean, unless, I mean, it does look interesting, like looking on my timeline. I saw some of the gameplay on the Nintendo Direct, but I just, I, I just can't do it. I mean, there's so many games I can play that I feel like will probably be like, I'm sure it's great for a mobile game. Just there's so many other games I want to play that don't feel like they're constantly trying to edge towards my wallet <laughs> well i mean i have never spent a penny on grand blue fantasy and i've spent like maybe hundreds of hours on that but that's it's these are clearly games that you would not i mean like at home of course i'm not gonna play dragalia lost or grand blue fantasy i'll be playing something else i mean this is also something that like when something's downloading like all right i'll get some some uh, matches in but that's like that's about it it's definitely a game that you do when you're have nothing better to do uh, which is fine, but speaking of Grand Blue, by the way, I think they're about to do their 22 million campaign download campaign, which means that you get a free roll every day. Uh, so, and that's I think from the 14th to the 27th. So, just throwing that out there for people who play it like me. But yeah, these are I would not recommend. It's hard every time I I tell people that I've got like this impressions piece for Dragalia Lost or this guide to get started in Grand Blue Fantasy. Uh, I made one and Chow made one. It's like, but at the same time i'm pulling you into hell so i don't know if i should really be doing that so i totally get where you're coming from it's not it's definitely not for everybody um but that's that's something that i've just sunk a lot of time into and and that's been kind of uh i also played um i'm sorry you're gonna say something yeah i just wanted to clarify i'm not judging anyone that enjoys this games and i'm sure i'd enjoy it too if i tried it but I guess the best way to say it is, is that I played a little bit of the Kingdom Hearts mobile game for a oh, bit, no, and that's I could no feel good. it. <laughs> that's still good. Yeah, I could feel it edging from my wall, and I could. It's like I kind of enjoy the gameplay, but I do not want to do this, and it kind of turned me off mobile games in general. No, I, was, I, I do play Pokemon Go, but it's just like it's like one of those things where it's, it's I, I, I don't want to feel that. <laughs> No, no, I totally get that. I would say Kingdom Hearts Unchained, I don't think is a good game at all. It's like, at this point, I'm only going to play it to get the uh, the Keyblades for Kingdom Hearts 3, because that's, that's the thing. There's like unique Keyblades you can only get by playing that game. And it's also, of course, important because the story apparently uh, ties into Kingdom Hearts 3. And uh, yeah, I would say Kingdom Hearts Unchained is probably one of the weaker examples of a good mobile game, but that's that's just my, my personal take on that stuff. Um I also play WWE 2K19, which has a, a, a fascinating story mode, um, but it's one of those annual games. It's like Assassin's Creed back when it was constantly an annual game, and then they decided to take a year off, and they made a much better game. I wish they would do that with this series, because they could really benefit uh, from that, too. But that's all I'll say about that. I don't want to get down to my own rabbit hole of wrestling, <laughs> but... Let's get into the news of the week because we've got plenty to talk about. Um, we'll get to the the other topic in just a second here, but I, of course, want to mention that Sony uh, this week came out with the news that they are finally letting you change your PSN ID. Now, of course, back in 2006 when the PlayStation 3 came out, uh, that was when they started letting you uh, register your own PSN ID, uh, but because you've got like you know plenty of competition with people taking names stuff like that, and obviously we were a lot younger back then, uh, twelve years ago, uh, we may have shared accounts with other people um, that we had to choose a name that was beneficial to both of us or more. Uh, so uh, they also mentioned back then, though um, they did not say this at the time, is that so much of their architecture or so much of their systems uh, played into your PSN ID, and so it wasn't easy for them to let you change it. 
Microsoft's been a lot better about that, but Sony, of course, hasn't been. And they have not done the thing like Microsoft does where they go back and wipe out any old accounts that don't have it and let you change it at some point. Um, uh, but last year, uh, a PlayStation experienced, they were sitting down with, I think, the the kind of funny people. Uh, they said that by next PlayStation experience, they would let you finally change your PSN ID. So when they canceled PSX this year, people thought that, you know, it's like, when is this ever going to happen? But then they dropped the news, uh, like I said, this week that, yes, they're going through this preview program. Anyone who signed up for a PS4 firmware beta uh, has been enrolled. Uh, it's not guaranteed, but this is like select users in that particular program um, will be selected to join this up. Uh, and then this will happen. This is concluding by the end of November. So I'm guessing this is going to start rolling out sometime this month then if with that terminology and then it'll finally open up to the uh, to the public early next year and the price is that the first change is free which is awesome and then after that it's going to be 5 bucks for PS Plus users 10 bucks for normal users so just another incentive I guess that they're putting in place to have people sign up for their monthly subscription for their online service uh, so yeah, I mean, I was fortunate enough where I bought a 360, of course, before I got a PS3. And at that time I, uh, was trying to choose a name and I decided to, you know, I'm not going to say it publicly cause I'd rather not <laughs> for people listening. I, like if you want to be play, uh, be Xbox live or PSN friends, you have to follow me first. Um, but I chose one that I was very satisfied with and I'm still very happy with. I still use it to this day. It wasn't an embarrassing name or something like that. Uh, so, but I definitely know people that are very, you know, very much ready for this to happen. I don't know, James, if you ha- are going to engage in this program yourself. I mean, I've had the same PSN name for so long and it's yeah. also kind of been part of my just online handle for God over a decade at this point that even if I wanted to change it, I, that ship has kind of already sailed for me. I feel like <laughs> they, they did say that um, you'll be able to temporarily hold on to your old ID just so people could find you, but it's just kind of like, you know, changing your phone number unless you have to, it's kind of difficult or your email, I guess would be a better example because then people are still going to try to reach out to you in the early, in the old one. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily have anybody that would not that I don't already know, say through Twitter, that I could easily reconnect with anyway. Um, but it's it's kind of it seems like a pretty big hassle. Uh, but you know, for what it's worth, I think it's pretty cool that Sony is finally letting me do this. I mean, this tied in with the bill that they uh, are now allowing allowing crossplay uh, temporarily right now through Fortnite. I don't know if that's still going on, but that's something that they also did. It just means that Sony's being way more open about these changes and i'm sure that for both those cases it's something that they've been working on for a while and now they're able to announce this stuff um after finally working out the problems but clearly this stuff is still in beta both cases so even if when it launches next year it's going to be hard to say whether that'll be a smooth sailing i hope that they do that thing where they do clear out any dormant names because even if you decide to change it now you've got potentially like tens of millions of other people who have PSN IDs that uh, you're going to have to, you know, have um, even, you'll probably be spending all day trying to come up with a good PSN name to replace that old one, but we'll see. Uh, It'd be kind of cool if I could, like, change mine to just Zach. (laughs) Like, somehow that opened up at some point, but part of me thinks that, you know, a lot of Sony people had their first names uh, selected ahead of time, but that's that's something that I'll be kind of interested to see what the reaction to that's going to be. 
But let's get into uh, something bigger than that. Uh, this is something that XC dropped just the other day uh, that they had yeah. to delay uh, Senran Kagura Renewal or Senran Kagura Burst Renewal. For people who don't know, and of course I'll let you talk on this after I'm yeah. setting this up here, James, but it's a PlayStation 4 remake of Senran Kagura Burst for the 3DS um, that was published by... Uh, marvelous uh several years ago um but the big news coming out of here is that um sony and this is what seemingly is a new policy they're having xc to remove the intimacy mode which appeared in was it what was that game is peach uh, it's appeared in every game in the series since um Sunner and Kagura Shinobi versus. Yep, and I I got to I got to I, I do remember because I reviewed that game and I do remember that mode as well, but for some reason they uh changed their policy where now they are taking issue with that feature and they're having XC to remove it before they can release it. Um I'm not sure if we talked about this on the podcast cuz I guess for disclosure we made a, 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 an executive decision as a site not to cover Omega Labyrinth. But yeah. this does seem to be a uh, kind of part of those two stories are part and parcel. It feels like this is the same decision that led to Omega Labyrinth being unable to be released on PlayStation. Uh, yeah, that was PQ, by the way, for them. But yeah, still yeah. same example. Which, fun, well, not so fun fact, <laughs> but uh, PQ is also distributing um, Sunrun and Kagura Burst Renewal in Europe. So, <laughs> uh, poor them. Can't win, can't win. Um, I, I think with this news, it's too easy to get caught up on the content of the games themselves, um, which obviously is a big portion of why this is happening. But it, I think the bigger news is the fact that Sony is the only uh, company right now making these executive sorts of decisions in regards to what games can release on their platform outside of like what the ESRB rating is. Because um, it's worth mentioning that uh, Sunrun and Kagura Reflections, that rather infamous uh, Switch game, which is I don't need to I don't need to explain it. It's basically just the intimacy mode, and that's it. Released on Switch with no issues. Um, ironically, this comes literally days after um, Valve let um, manga gamer release Eventicle, which is in Alice Soft uh, porn JRPG on Steam, which has art from the Center and Kagura artist. <laughs> yeah, you said you said Alice Soft. I'm like, yep, that's definitely a. Uh, a yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just. I think the biggest thing about this is is that uh, I'm not sure who said it, but just like the other day, like literally the same day this announcement came out, like a a higher up Sony um, PlayStation person said that they were going to be a bit more transparent about what was going on with PlayStation and. With stuff like crossplay and the PSN IDs, that's true. But then there's this, and apparently, like the OJAM and Earl people are having issues with this or something too. I don't know why, but it's just a weird situation. And I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything one way or another on the game itself. It's just seems weird that only Sony is doing this, and it seems weird that this hasn't really been like. We're only getting this information through companies that are being affected, and we're not hearing anything from Sony themselves. It's a bit weird. Yeah, but that's you know that's to be expected because they are not going to really discuss about corporate decisions like that uh, unless yeah. you know 
someone decides that it's worth discussing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's an awkward situation. It is. It is. It is. And, like, and yeah, go ahead. I I really do think though that this was probably unfortunate timing for this to come out, just because again, like Nintendo just let the other Senran Kagura game this year release on the system that's just the intimacy mode, and then Valve with the whole floodgates open for porn so yeah it's it's difficult i mean obviously on pc a part of the reason valve did is because there's definitely a market there and they are cutting off a revenue flow if they decide not to allow those games on their platform and at this point it doesn't make much of a difference because they already allow a bunch of random crap like you check i'm not i'm not seeing of course those adult only games are just crap i mean i'm sure there's plenty of really good ones it's that um you know that'd be just weird part to uh, take issue with when you can check on the new releases on Steam every week and see like hentai puzzle and it's just like a moving puzzle game that's <laughs> just nothing it doesn't even have any adult content it's just a girl wearing a bikini or something like that um, it's it's just with stolen dumb. art it's stolen art it's yeah almost always stolen art uh, I mean my yeah. personal opinion on this whole situation is that as you said it's unfortunate I think it's kind of wrong uh because it's really bizarre that they're now you know taking issue with this stuff it's it's kind of just what you there's expect three other games on playstation platforms right now with this same exact mode like the mode has not changed since shinobi versus pretty much yeah, it just hasn't they just they and did say like, it was um, go ahead it it, it just i don't know it's it, as i said though it is a new policy uh, that they enacted yeah. this year, and so that makes some yeah. sense. But um, I will say that, uh, you know, it, it kind of just goes to show uh, their opinions on these things, and I assume this is very much a Sony Japan decision uh, because it feels like... Uh, it, it's in, definitely in, not a Sony Japan decision. I mean, uh, Sony because... America. I'm sorry. I, I meant Sony yeah. America because in the West, it feels like we're way more okay with violence uh, because there's definitely violence against kids and a bunch of other games like Fallout um, that you can you know hurt kids, um, but when it comes to sexual content, it's completely the opposite. Um, because yeah. you know there's definitely sex in games. I mean, look at Witcher. <laughs> there's definitely sex in games, yeah. uh, and it's very prevalent. Um, I mean, you can make the argument that these uh, girls are underage, and that's a big reason yeah. for that. Um, uh, but it's, it hasn't changed in the past, and I think that, in, in my opinion, it's that they already cannot sell a lot of their games on uh, retail storefronts like Walmart or Best Buy or or Target or anything like that because of well, the content. They can it. actually sell it in uh, Best Buy. There's been a copy of uh, Peach Beach Splash at my Best Buy for like the last five months that nobody has bought. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm talking about like adult only games. Uh, oh, that they yeah. can run into issues with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'd be like a, a particular issues with that. I'm not saying that that, that feature makes Senran Kagura an adult-only game. Like I said, I've reviewed a Senran Kagura game, and I'm yeah. fully aware of the content of that game. And I think that it's relatively harmless <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. And it's not like yeah. you know, these are fictional characters, so whatever. It, it's just I think it's kind of ass-backwards a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, people have, it's not like anyone who plays these games are just one big pervert. It's that, you know, there's, yeah. there's always, um, I enjoyed my time with Sandra Kagura because of the gameplay and stuff like that. And the intimacy mode and, and Shinobi Versus was just like, okay, this is a feature that's there. People who want to, uh, dress up their characters and stuff like that. So I, I think that this is 
I wouldn't say it's a bad decision. I just think that it's weird that they're now tightening the grip, uh, tightening things yeah. up when Valve is being more open to that and they're going to, if, for yeah. lack of a better way of, of putting it, uh, reaping the benefits of that. And for a company like Sony that's trying to be more open, it's that now that they're doing something like this, it just means that, you know, for the fact that Switch uh, is going to have mature rated Otome games on there, it's that a lot of these Japanese companies might start to look elsewhere to release the content. I'm not saying they're going to go to Xbox. It's just that they're probably going to do the thing that other people do. It's that they're going to release their games on PC and enjoy having like all the features there. And fans of the series are going to start waiting for those games instead of waiting for PlayStation. It's been a very weird year for PlayStation is what I'll say. Yeah. I I do want to make it clear that this is Sony's decision. They are the platform holder. Yeah we can't say one way or the other what they should do with their platform. If they want to do this, that's their right. It's just unfortunate, again, the timing around this decision, because like, seriously, you really got to appreciate like the, the comedic timing that days after um, eventical releases on steam, this happens. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's weird. It's weird for something that used to be accepted uh, and allowed on their platform. It's now suddenly like an issue. Like, I wonder what the catalyst for all this was. Because, I wonder um, how um, Takaki-san is going to react to this. Because unlike a lot of those Japanese series, that um, those niche Japanese series, um, uh, Kenichiro Takaki very much... Um, seems to understand the Western fan base for Senra and Kagura. And like he, he's come over to America on multiple occasions and has had things like at E3. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if it impacts the series in Japan too. Cause like for most series, it feels like stuff that happens in the Western release is kind of in a vacuum, but with Senra and Kagura, I, I, I do wonder since, the creator seems to understand the Western fan base, if that's going to have an impact on how they do things over in Japan as well. It's hard to say because yeah. Xseed made it pretty clear, or at least Tom did from Xseed, that it, age had nothing to do with it. It's just the fact that yeah. they were able to interact. Oh, I, I meant more like, I meant more like uh, with platforms and whatnot. Yeah. Like where are they release? Yeah. Because I, I think, and again, I, I'm, I'm not a developer, but I'm pretty sure like every Sunrun Kagura game so far could run on Switch, for example. Oh, no doubt. I mean, these, I mean, yeah. we're talking about like this, the, these types of games, like they're high budget or something like that. It could definitely run on the Switch, no problem. Uh, I don't know yeah. if, if Nintendo would allow it either, um, but. Again, Nintendo's been allowing a lot of stuff recently. Yeah, they're, they're basically not trying to be uh, for all ages all the time, uh, especially in Japan. So yeah. we'll see. Or it just means less games will be localized, which will be a damn shame. Yeah. But for, if it's oh. just one feature missing, it's not a huge deal. I think it's just more yeah. like this is like a can of worms, and we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. So let's just hope yeah. that it ends with Sunrise and Kagura, because it would be very, very disappointing to see like this continue and like creep forward into other games that aren't like as cut and dry as. Well, I'm not sure if cut and dry is the right word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, the fact that yeah. it wasn't what started this, it's just the next step this year. Uh, I would like to know what other games have not been allowed, and this is just not the public 
I mean, this it hasn't. Some of the games that have been publicly announced, I assume it's going to be a lot of D three publisher games because those guys tend to have more of those types of titles in the library. Yeah. But we'll have to find out. Honestly, like yeah. this is what makes the PC so great because you know a lot of that stuff just gets pushed out pushed out by Just USA and Manga Gamer and other other companies that they don't have to worry about censoring their stuff or yeah. delaying their content because of that stuff. It's it's it just makes it feel like. These are way different fields, but we'll have to see. But let's move into the next topic, uh, because I think we let our thoughts be well known about how we feel about that, um, to another company, and that's Microsoft. So there's a report coming out of Kotaku. Uh, well, let's take a step back for a moment here. Back at E3 uh, this past June, Microsoft announced a number of acquisitions that they had made, uh, including uh, Ninja Theory. Uh, Playground, uh, Ninja Theory is from Hellblade, of course, and uh, Heavenly Sword, Heavenly Blade, Heavenly Sword, I forget what it was called, but that was that PS2 game. Um, and in DMC, uh, all those other games. They also acquired Playground, makers of Forza Horizon, um, and some other companies, like the makers of State of Decay. Uh, but they said that they weren't done yet, and they would be announcing more acquisitions in the future. Well, there's a story coming out of, from Jason Schreier of Kotaku that one of those companies happens to be Obsidian Entertainment. Now, this is something that uh, p- some people have already alluded to in the past. Like, it feels like a, not that long ago, people are saying like it could potentially be Obsidian because it doesn't doesn't feel like that long ago that they were going through a lot of money troubles. Part of the problem, I'm gonna shut my window because the fireworks are going off. But um, part of it was because they did not hit their Metacritic number from Bethesda. And so they did not get a bonus. And so that kind of took a hit on their financials at the time. This was back like in 2012, uh, 2013. I forget when it uh, actually came out, but um, that was part of it. And then, of course, the struggles of being an independent studio, uh, having trouble with that. That's like when you saw that story, um, when the news came out that Microsoft acquired Ninja Theory, it was like a breath of fresh air for that company because they said they were having a lot of trouble trying to maintain what the where they were at and they needed some sort of uh you know stability and Microsoft would allow that to happen. So this news is that yes, Obsidian Entertainment uh looks to be like they're very close if they haven't already signed the dotted line to be acquired by Microsoft. And part of the reason the uh example given was that um, Microsoft has been looking to expand their PC side of things because, of course, they are also a PC company. It's not just Xbox, as many people would want to believe. <laughs> it's like they, they do way more than just Xbox games. Um, and so they feel like this will be a great way for them to flesh that side of their company out more. And so it's a strategic move. And um, I would assume that we'll hear more about this during the EXO conference that they're having in November, uh, which is their next uh, global press press event uh not press event but like consumer focused event that they're going to have here but i think this is great news i don't know what you think james um actually i've been reading blood sled and pixels recently and uh at least according to jason schreier the main reason for the financial troubles at obsidian like in 2012 2013 was because of a fallout with a deal with um Microsoft for an Xbox One launch exclusive called Stormlands or something like that. Oh, I remember that. And uh, I think they also were losing a lot of talent around that time. There was that big thing with Chris Avalone. People can read about that, but basically it was Chris Avalone was uh, forced out of the company and he could not work on RPGs. And there was some big issue with the higher ups and Chris as well. 
and so you know at this point uh because of the they bled some talent there it was going to be a, a lot of trouble for them and of course then yeah. they decided to move towards making independent titles so it's going to be kind of iffy i mean right now yeah. if i'm not mistaken uh obsidian has been working with companies like versus evil and thq nordic to put out their to the title so i mean all in all this seems like uh it seems great uh, for Obsidian to be doing something like this, um, because not only would that mean working with some Microsoft properties if they wanted to, but of course having the funding to do something bigger than crowdfunded projects like they have been on. Like they've got the budget, they would have the budget to do the games that they really want to make if they're still granted their independence, the creative uh, independence that they've had so far. So as long as that uh, that mutual agreement's made, this could be really good, really good for them. Yeah, I do think a lot of folks I've seen that have been negative about the issue aren't necessarily about because um, Obsidian will have less resources or whatnot. I think a lot of people are kind of iffy about it because they know that if Obsidian gets bought out, yeah, we'll still get PC releases of their games, but they don't want to have to deal with the Windows Store, which is an understandable concern. But there there was the story that came out in August I forget it was like THQ Nordic as well, speaking of which, but uh, they signed an agreement to bring a lot of their Microsoft games to Steam. That's why you saw ReCore, uh, for example, on Steam. Um, like last. The month. difference with that is, is that all of the games that um, THQ Nordic brought to Steam weren't first-party games. They were published by Microsoft, but the developers weren't owned by Microsoft. Yeah, that's a, if Obsidian gets... If Obsidian gets bought out by um, Microsoft, then chances are, assuming the Windows Store is still a thing whenever their game comes out, would probably be Windows Store exclusive on PC. Yeah, it's it's a difficult situation. And also those games, um, they did not remove them from the Windows Store. They just also happen to publish them on Steam as well. So it's not like it'll be like first time exclusive. I mean, part of me... As someone who owns an Xbox, I'm okay with it because it means cross-buy, which is a very yeah. cool thing for this generation that I really appreciate having, being able to either play on PC or Xbox if I want a more stable performance because my PC isn't that great. Um, you know, that's just something that, I mean, the, the sooner we accept it, part of me thinks that, that that's for the best. Like the only issue I have when it comes to Windows Store um, is that when you have it where for multiplayer it can be a real problem because um, Windows Store has its own multiplayer servers. So, for example, I think it was uh, Titanfall 2. I think it was a good example. Or maybe it was Call of Duty. I forget. But, yeah, it was Call of Duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, Windows Store had its own servers that dried up. And then, so if you bought it on Windows Store, you had to play on their servers. Steam was doing just fine, but it's all PC. And so there was like, everyone was cut off from each other. So we're having trouble with the whole, you know, cross play situation. That's what we're talking about. I think once, well, okay, this is not a great example because I was going to say that if they open up cross play between Windows Store and Steam, at this point, it's like, you know, have dedicated servers to deal with that anyway. Um, They already have a cross play between Windows Store and Steam, actually. Yeah, yeah, but I... I, uh, I just mean as far as that, it wouldn't matter if the game is only released on Windows Store. <laughs> like that's that's as yeah. what you're talking about. It's it's it wouldn't make a difference there. Um, I mean, for me, 
I don't care. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. It's that it's I don't care if I have to install EA Origin or Steam or GOG's uh, proprietary. I think that's actually part of the other argument is that Obsidian games won't be released on GOG, which would be a shame because that's DR DRM free stuff. Um, it'll only be on Windows Store. Um, but and that's you get into the issue of like once it gets removed from the store, you no longer have ownership of it and we'll run into the digital rights issues that we've been facing before. Uh, so a part of me is very happy about that, but I can, I can definitely see their perspective that it's, it's going to be an issue, uh, for something like that happening. But, yeah. you know, if it's only, if, if the games are only released on Xbox one, then whatever, you know, it's like, that it doesn't, that argument doesn't even come to play, but the, considering Obsidian is first and foremost a PC company. Yeah. Uh, it's something that they're going to have to deal with. And I think I would imagine Obsidian is going to be in those conversations about, you know, where exactly are we going to show, uh, are we going to show up then? But maybe it'll be like that Windows phone situation where it's like after a while, it's like Windows like, all right, that's enough. Let's move everything to this other, these other platforms. Let's move everything to Android and iOS instead of putting everything on this particular marketplace. But Considering how big Windows 10 has gotten, like it, the the amount of people on Windows 10 now is gigantic, uh, they probably won't have to worry about that. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Because right now it's all speculative. But I'm hopeful. Uh, so on the note about strategic partnerships, CD Projekt Red announced that they have signed a partnership with Digital Scapes, who I'm not very familiar with, but I, I know that they've worked with several other companies in the past but the big news is is that this has brought speculation that uh cyberpunk 2077 uh which we still don't know the release date of uh this is mm, there might be a case where they're adding multiplayer features to cyberpunk um cd project has said in the past that they are not going to get into the games as a service platform where you know it's like you know microtransactions loot boxes all that shit it's that they would only use it to support the game so because i think at the time when they were talking about it before that they had opened the door to potentially having multiplayer features because they've never had multiplayer in their games in the past which i imagine working with a, a developer that has done those games before just makes sense because you've taken a company that has no experience and given outsourcing it to a company that has plenty of it um, that, you know, I could definitely see where they had already talked up about having a crew in, in Cyberpunk 2077, having like your own little, uh, I don't know, it's like your gain, uh, that being able to interact with them online just kind of makes sense instead of it just being, you know, <laughs> for lack of a better way, driver tars, where it's like AI control that just works off of the input of how they play normally. It's like, this is something that I think just makes perfect sense for the type of game Cyberpunk is. If you agree, James. Yeah, I think it's definitely, um, I definitely think Cyberpunk is a better choice for multiplayer than The Witcher was. But uh, I, I don't know. We don't even really know what they're going to have for the multiplayer yet. So it doesn't really feel right giving any like opinions on it when we don't even know what they have in mind yeah. necessarily. I mean, it's 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 clearly a game because, of course, it's based off of a tabletop RPG that you would play with your friends, um, that you would all be part of a, a game that you would work together to accomplish missions and stuff like that. Kind of like Destiny. You know, it'd be probably like single player focused 
not that Destiny 2 is or Destiny is very much like that, but it's like that kind of thing where it's like you can play this single player if you want. It's very much that kind of focus experience, but there's all these multiplayer stuff that'll be added on as well. I just hope they do it smartly and it's not like a lot of stuff is tied into the multiplayer aspect because I like to play alone. <laughs> so, um and I I want my dreams of a Ghost in the Shell MMO, not MMO, sorry, Ghost in the Shell, like, freeform game. I want that to happen. Uh, the PlayStation 1 game didn't do too much for me, so I would love to see that become a reality. And if the multiplayer stuff will, you know, uh, shrink the number of opportunities that I have to make that happen because it's trying to be uh, a bigger game than it is, um, I'm going to have an issue. Like, I don't need restrictions. Let me do what I want. Let me play the game I want. Don't let me have to rely on multiplayer, uh, on real people to do what I want. <laughs> So we'll have to see. So let's move on to uh, some actual game-related topics that we can discuss here. So uh, this will be a very short one here. So Corpse Party Blood Drive. That's been rated by the ESRB. This was founded by uh, Gamatsu, who's always, you know, I'm sure got tabs on, on the rating sites. Uh, Corpse Party Blood Drive is actually is the finale of the um, the elementary school arc that's that began at the original corpse party um i think it's kind of weird that this is the one that they're revealing you would think that it'd be kind of like when they raided castlevania requiem that it's a bundle a compilation that they're putting on the switch instead of a single game but from everything i heard blood drive had issues with uh loading times and, and some other hiccups like that and so this would make sense but yeah. did you ever play the blood drive uh, excuse me the corpse party games james I own Blood Drive. Um, there's actually a funny story about that. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, it was E3 2016. I'm not sure if you ran into that one dude that was near Exceed's booth, E3 2016, that was a Sony employee that a bunch of sealed Vita games in his backpack that he was just giving out. Nope, I did not. So, oh, actually, well, anyways, well, I, think I may have seen him. I may have seen this person you're talking about. Yeah. Well, anyways, I got a sealed copy of Corpse Party Blood Drive, not the limited edition thing just like the uh cart and the box itself which i've always wondered if the uh corpse party um physical edition that exceed released if the uh actual vita case inside it was sealed because there's a lot of limited editions that the outer box is sealed but the inner box since it's supposed to come in the limited edition doesn't have the plastic wrap but that's something for another day um <laughs> Uh, another interesting story about Quartz Party, um, and this kind of ties into why I think they are porting this one over, is because it runs on Unity. A uh, Vita hacker that I know actually uh, decompiled the executable for the Vita version and then backwards ported it to PC um, themselves, wow. like a few years back. So I'd imagine if they were able to do that without the actual, like, Unity project files, it shouldn't be too difficult to port it from a Vita to Switch if you have everything like legit. Yeah. So. Yeah. I I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's if it's Unity based, then it makes sense that this is not hard because Unity is clearly up and running on the Switch. Um so not to mention that the uh hardware themselves is pretty similar between the Switch and the Vita, so there's that. Yeah, I just hope it's more than just Blood Drive because it's a weird thing to have it at the, the tail end of a of an arc be the game that they bring to the Switch. 
Like, they should just be in the whole series. But this could just be the story. Yeah. It's kind of like when Xenosaga, I think I've mentioned this multiple times, but Xenosaga Episode 3 was rated for the, for the, from the ESRB for the PS4, um, that uh, they would most likely bring more than just a single game. It could just be that this is the first one they submitted because it was the easiest one or something, but we'll see. Because it's expensive. And that's something that also ties into the whole talk about the censorship because every time you submit an ESRB for ESRB, it costs like was like five or ten thousand dollars to do so. And so the argument yeah. that, you know, when people when people when companies make changes to the game before it's submitted to the ESRB to find out, it's because they're trying to save money. Because a lot of the time the only budget they get is for the cost of localization, not for much else. And that's sometimes why you don't get games that have been marketed at all. It's because they just can't afford to do so or they don't have the time uh, with the resources to do that. So we'll have to find out. But I just thought that that was a, a neat thing. And I, I love the fact that the Switch continues to get more of these visual novels because the Switch is like kind of a perfect platform for those types of games. And I talked about the Otome games. A lot of them are coming out on the Switch in Japan. And I hope we get all of them. Yeah, pretty much all of uh, um, all the ultimate Idea games. Factories. Yeah, yeah. All, pretty much all yeah. of Idea Factories um, Vita catalog is coming to Switch. And I imagine because in a month, Idea Factory is having their press event in San Francisco, which we're probably ah. able to attend. Uh, that's potentially a place where they'll announce. Uh, localizations for that or it could be access like lately it's been a lot of access localizing ultimate games people who don't know ultimate is a subsidiary of idea factory uh so they're just their ultimate factory in that case so the last piece of news we've got um it's something that could mean a whole lot of nothing but i just thought it's kind of an interesting thing that they would be doing it this now of all times but it makes some sense if you think about it within context konami has relaunched their Suikoden web portal in Japan. Now, this is the website that lists all the Suikoden games that have ever come out in the past. Uh, and there's some important points to show with that. The last time they updated that site was back when Suikoden was released on the PSP. Uh, one and two, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so that that was they were all put there. Uh, that makes some sense because the sites are so outdated, but like, why would they care now to do something like that when it's not like they had a reason to? But you also consider the fact that as of late, Konami has been working with the licenses a lot more. Uh, you know, aside from Super Bomberman came out on the Switch, Zone of the Ender's second runner, uh, that was remastered uh, and put out last month. And I still need to play. I've heard great things about that 4K version. Also from Psy Games, by the way. They're the ones that remastered that game. And they're also the ones also that talked about sorry, PSVR mode. Yes. Uh, that's that's also something I'd love to try, even if I don't own a PSVR, but I'd love to try it sometime because I played it at uh, E3 in VR, and that was pretty good. Um, but yeah, it's it's great. Uh, I think at this point, um, there's a very, very slim chance that they'll actually make a new Suikoden because as far as I can tell, the writer has got his own thing going on. What was the... Um, there was the what was that game that came out recently that the Suikoden Rider worked on? I'm trying to. I do not remember. Let me look this up. I, I want to say it was a 3DS game. Yeah, it was something that uh, Yoshitaki Moriyama. Um, that was Alliance Alive. That's it. Yeah, that came out yeah. last year. He was the scenario writer, and I think that I think that people weren't crazy hot about that game, but that's 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 the writer. Um, but yeah, 
it could it could potentially be hired back on, but the Konami is such a different company now. Uh, they're way more willing to outsource their games, and this is something that people kind of thought was going to happen. Like, and I think Konami has said this upfront that even if they're sort of out of a lot of the game development side of things, they're more than willing to allow companies to work on their properties anyway. And I, I think Sly Games, if I'm not mistaken, they said they'd make a new Zone of the Enders if uh, Konami was allow would allow them to. Going back. Suikoden, um, yeah, it's it's something that you could definitely see the Suikoden games coming to the new platforms in some form, especially when Sony doesn't look to be allowing um, PS1 games on their system. And as far as PS2, I you probably won't see Suikoden 3, 4, or 5 show up on PlayStation Now, for example, or the PS2 on PS4, because that might be just a little too much work when Konami could probably make a lot more money i mean hell square enix has been doing it for a while putting all their ps2 games on ps4 um so uh, yeah i think that at this point uh a remaster is not out of the question um it's easy to hype this up though if it's potentially nothing but uh, if you think about everything uh, konami's done the last couple years hell since kojima left it's it's it makes a lot of sense you know it makes a lot of sense they know yeah. they can make a ton of money off of this uh if you not, you know, if you will, like banking off of people, people's nostalgia, and I, for one, would be totally up for like a bundle if they released those games, and I hope they do more to to Suikoden One because that's a very much a, a very different game. But uh, yeah. you know, if they put out like say Five on PS4, be totally down for that because Five more people need to play that game, and it's kind of expensive now, so it'd be kind of cool to see that. Um, I you... think yeah, the two my, most likely um, reasons they updated the website is either one, a mobile game, or two, they're, um, it, it would feel weird for uh, Konami to work with Sony for a PlayStation 1 game port only once. Yeah. And I know it's technically a PSP game port, but they're similar architectures, so... It feels weird that they would have only worked with them on one game, and a lot of people really do have fond memories for particularly Suikoden 2. So I think it's it's got to either be a mobile game or Sony's probably also working on a port for Suikoden 1 and 2 or maybe just 2. Yeah, I mean, it could, just, yeah, it, it could be forward works. Like, I mean, clearly they've already done this to your Ark the Lad and Wild Arms. You could definitely see where it's like a crossover mobile game showing up there, but I like to be slightly optimistic about that. It could be both, you know. They could definitely do both of those yeah. things um, because there's people who love those games to death. I think it'd be very hard to have 108 stars of Destiny <laughs> on a mobile game because that would be a lot of work. Uh, but I would love to see them try that, you know. And for the record, um, I'd be interested in trying a Suikoden mobile game. I'll be honest. Like, if, has Suikoden ever showed up in mobile in some form over the years? Like, I don't know. Oh no. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to look it up because I'm just going to be yeah. ignorant. I'd rather not know about this. <laughs> not to diss you at all, Zach, though, but it feels like you're down to try almost any uh, JRPG mobile game. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm open-minded like that. Um, not putting yeah. down people who don't want to play it because a lot of them do end up being trash. Uh, but yeah. I'm, 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 I'm curious. And from what I know, the Ark the Lad mobile game was a lot better than what people expected it to be. Uh, yeah, I, I guarantee don't... that if there ever is a Suikoden mobile game, it's going to be better than the Fantasy Star Online 2 mobile companion game. Because I, I, oh, no. No, I, 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 S, yes, or something. I, I tried it very briefly because it's a workaround for uh, getting uh, some of the premium currency if you 
don't have a Japanese credit card when I played Fantasy Star Online 2 for a little bit. And that game is a mess. Oof. Yeah, that's that's I've, from everything I've heard. Uh, I've heard the same. <laughs> so, yeah. well, yeah, I think that's that's about it for the news then. Uh, there's not much more that uh, I can see that we can talk about here. But just know that, yeah, it's uh, it's been a pretty good week for the industry. Um, I wouldn't say good. It's just been a lot of uh, important news. An eventful week. An eventful week. That's a good way to put it. So we'll wrap up with sharing where you guys can find us. You can always find us on RPGsite.net where we've got reviews. I think we got the Pathfinder Keenmaker review. I forget if that's been before or after the last podcast. It was after. Yeah, so we've got that up there. Uh, I've also got plenty of other things. We continue to have more Assassin's Creed Odyssey guides that you guys can check out. We've put up a few more since then. Uh, One is about, you know, the right choices to get the best ending um, and, and things like that. And so, and of course, you can find news about everything we talked about today, uh, most of it anyway. You can also find yeah. us on RPG site, uh, at RPG site, excuse me, on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash RPG site net, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash RPG site net. You can find us on iTunes, favorite podcast app, just search for TetraCast. Um, please leave a review uh, if you like it or hate it. It still would be great to get some feedback on what you guys thought. You can also find us on Discord. Our permanent Discord link is discord.me slash RPG site. Lastly, we'd like to share where you can find us on Twitter. So where can they find you, James? You can find me at the sweet at T-H-E-S-W-W-E-E-T. Great. And you can find me uh, at Zach Reese. So yeah, that's it for this edition of the TetraCast. I won't be here next week because uh, I'll be... Going to my brother's wedding, so I don't know if I'll, what we'll have for next week. Uh, hopefully, we can still get something going here, uh, but uh, that'll be that. Um, and there might be some other news coming. We don't know, uh, but we'll share that when the time comes. Uh, but I'd like to thank James, of course, for being a part of this podcast once again. And thank you all out there for listening, as always. And th- once again, catch us next week for yet another edition of the TetraCast. Bye, everyone.